0: And we're going to look to the Word of God now. I want to continue just a little bit. I don't know if "continue" is the right word, but maybe, maybe tag in a little bit with what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about Jacob, and we're going to continue on the theme of Jacob. And I'm going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 44, and I'm going to read the first couple of verses. We'll read the uh, a few verses beyond that as we go. But Isaiah chapter 44, verses one and two. Uh, We'll use as our base text uh, to talk tonight about the word of the Lord. I believe uh, there are just some things here that are going to help us understand the plan of God, understand the word of God. Isaiah 44, verses 1 and 2. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Verse 2. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb which will help thee, fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. And I want to, I want to talk to you about Jacob, Israel, and Jeshurun, or Yeshurun, uh, tonight. Jacob, Israel, and Jeshurun. And we're going to uh, speak about these three names. These are three names for the same group of people. And the group of people that this is referring to are the people of Israel. But I'm going to say the people of God. It's important for us to understand a few things about God's relationship with Israel. And that is that God chose Israel as his people. And he did so because of the faith of the great patriarch, Abraham. And Abraham received many promises from God and those promises extended into his bloodline and into his descendants, which became known as the people of Israel. But it's important to understand what God was doing. God was not just singling out a group of people and saying, These are my favorites, and everybody else are a lost cause. That's not what God was doing. God was singling out a people for his name's sake. So that he could create a pathway for the rest of the world to enter into that same kind of covenant with him. It's important for us to understand that. Israel was the gateway whereby God could bring all of the world unto himself. So to illustrate that, I want to, uh, I want to turn your attention to the book of Revelation. And uh, we'll read uh, Revelation uh, it, it deals with the subject of the New Jerusalem, chapter 21, uh, beginning with verse 10. But the New Jerusalem is, is actually the fulfillment of the Old Jerusalem. And the Old Jerusalem had uh, in it the gates of the city. And the gates of that city were to include the tribes of Israel. And Revelation 21, verses 10 through 12, John The beloved became John the Revelator. And John the Revelator is witnessing the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And when he sees this new Jerusalem, he describes uh, what he sees. And this is part of that description. Verse 10 of Revelation 21. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God now this is not the old Jerusalem this is the new Jerusalem as John would call it the holy Jerusalem and what what is being depicted here is that there was an old Jerusalem yes but it was a type and a shadow it was a glimpse into what God was going to do holistically in the future What he was going to do holistically in the future was to create a new Jerusalem or a holy Jerusalem. And that word Jerusalem means the city of peace. It is is the city of peace. So there is this, this idea that God put inside of his people, that there is a city that is able to be lived in, it's able to be achieved, it's able to be attained unto, where the people in that city are glad they are good and the city is a city of peace and honor and love and life everlasting and to a to a depressed distressed persecuted and perplexed people this was this was the most wonderful news that you could receive and so they embraced the idea of this holy city and hebrews chapter 11 describes that by faith abraham went looking for a city that hath foundations whose builder and maker is god this city that john saw descending out of heaven from god is the same city that abraham was looking for and the bible says concerning abraham and sarah and before them was referenced Abel and Noah and Enoch. And, and, and then the writer of Hebrews makes this statement. He said, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Okay, so the writer of Hebrews is saying that there's a city. There is a city that hath foundations. And it was made by God. It was built by God. It was made by God. And John describes seeing that city coming down from heaven from God. And, of course, it's the city that Abraham went looking for. It's the city that the psalmist would write about when he would say in Psalm 48, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of our great king. And when he said beautiful for situation, that phrasing actually refers to the topographical and geographical elevation of the city of Jerusalem. And when I was in the Holy Land several years ago, we go through this tunnel, and when you come out on the other side of the tunnel, there is the city of Jerusalem. And I can't even describe, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. The feeling that comes over you when you see that city because of what it represents and what all took place there. But, but the, the, the bus is going to pull aside and have you get out and take pictures because behind you is this magnificent elevation And this city is built upon this elevation. And that's what the psalmist meant when he said beautiful for situation. It actually is a reference to elevation. But that's the old Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is elevated in a different way. But it's still elevated. It's elevated in a spiritual sense. Its principles are elevated. Its concepts are elevated. It is above the fray, if you please. It is elevated and superior to all other societies, civilizations, uh, uh, and political constructs. It is the holy city of God. And this is the city that God wants to put all of his people into. And that means the people that he created. God has a plan for all people. But In order to understand Israel's role in this, we have to go back to the beginning. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. Jacob, uh, the the descendants of Jacob and Jacob himself, their name became Israel. Which means a prince that has power with God and has prevailed. He has power with God and men. So he has wrestled with God and has power with god and he has he has prevailed and esau his descendants became known as edom and edom is another form so closely related to the word adam that it 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 actually is basically the same word so you see in these two twin brothers a dichotomy you see in jacob that he has moved from the name jacob which meant Heel holder, and I want to get into that here in just a moment. But it means heel holder or heel grabber, supplanter. It's that that thing in us that wants to pull others back so we can get ahead. That was Jacob's nature as a man. But he transitioned from that nature into a princely nature and a, a nature where he was able to wrestle that. about himself away, that self-centeredness. He was able to to wrestle with God till that, that shifted and moved out of his life and his name was changed to Israel. So he stepped from his man nature into a prince nature and Israel means to rule as God, to be one that has wrestled with God and prevailed and now having power with God and man ruling as the Lord, as God, as a ruler. And so, so that's Israel. Esau never moved out of that man nature. Esau was was uh, ruddy. That's what it means. It means red. And he was, he was that when he was born and he was that all through his life. Esau never transitioned into a higher calling. He never moved into the deeper depths of God's purpose for his life. So he just simply became Edom or Adam So he never escaped the Adamic nature or the Adamic nature. He remained that and so did his descendants. And and that's what we have to understand is possible in our lives. You must escape the man nature that you were born with because it's a fallen nature. It's the part of you that you you don't want to, to represent you. You don't want to be that heel grabber, that person that's always looking after their own interests and willing to push others aside so you can attain unto your selfish interests. You don't want to be that person. That's when you start violating the law of God and you start stealing and killing and committing adultery and and and, and you say, I would never do those things. Well, when you hate your brother, it, Jesus said, or John said, that, that really is the same spirit of killing. And And when you look upon a woman, lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart already. And so you may not even think that it's, within your actions to do certain things. But there's a spirit to this thing. And you've got to be able to escape your man nature. And God wants to help all people escape the nature that is fallen and enter into the princely nature that he has designed for them. Praise God. And so there is a new birth that is needed. There's an old birth, that which is born of the flesh, then there is a new birth that is needed, that which is born of the Spirit. Praise God. Anybody thankful for the new birth? Amen. The Apostle Paul, uh, referencing Jacob and Esau, said that the elder shall serve the younger. And he was talking about Esau serving Jacob. And, and this is true not only of Esau and Jacob's relationship, but it is true of the new birth And the old birth, the elder, which is our old birth, shall serve the younger, which is the new birth. And so this is a beautiful principle. You want that old nature of yours to submit to the new nature that Christ wants to put into your spirit. And so we see that Jacob did that. Jacob went down to the Jabbok River. He was about to meet Esau. We talked about this last week where that he was going to confront his flesh. He was going to confront his humanity and in the form of his older brother and before he did he was very troubled he couldn't sleep got his family all safe and squared away and then he went out into the night and walked by the Jabbok River I think it's interesting that he goes to the Jabbok River because he goes down by the water and while he's in the water that's where he has the wrestling match with The angel of the Lord or with the man, the mysterious man. We understand that this was an angel of the Lord or it was some manifestation of the power of God, but he wrestled all night long with this messenger from God and it happens near the water. When he comes up out of that water experience and that wrestling match experience, uh, he has a different name. This is an Old Testament snapshot, if you please, into what will happen in the New Testament when we are baptized in Jesus' name. When we repent of our sins, that is the wrestling match, okay? You're going to have to have that wrestling match. You're going to have to walk away from that sin in your life. You can, you, listen, you can find a thousand churches that will tell you I'm lying, but I'm telling you the truth. And they will not be honest with you because they want you to fill their seat and they want you to provide financial support. And I understand that churches have to survive, but we don't want to survive at the expense of the truth. God will sustain us if we'll preach the truth. You can find a lot of people that'll tell you you're just fine in your sin. And and, and we don't condemn because... In our sins, we're condemned already. So we're not a condemning people. But we can't escape the reality that you must repent from your sins. Jacob, you've got to wrestle with God. You can't live in that old nature and think that everything is okay. It's not okay. So Jacob has this wrestling match. That's the wrestling match you're going to have in repentance. Jacob, Jacob gets thrown down by the Jebuk River. That's what happens when you're baptized in Jesus' name. He came up out of that experience with a new name, and so will you. You will have departed from that heel-grabbing nature and stepped into a princely nature, one who has power with God and men, one who is prevailing, one who now rules as God. Not that you become... God, in the sense that Lucifer wanted to be like God, but it, but but ruling with his authority and the dominion that he has bestowed upon you, praise the Lord. And so, uh, this is a beautiful thing about this experience that Jacob had. I want to pause for just a moment and say that uh, this Jacob into Israel dynamic is, is so important. Uh, and, and, and even Jesus had to typify it. Because... When, when God brings his, his covenant to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless your seed and your, your children, your children's children, and, and forevermore, all those that come after you. Uh, he's explaining to him that I'm going to do this and out of you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Out of you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. God was telling Abraham from the very beginning, I'm going to bless you, but, but I'm going to bless you because I'm going to bless everybody. And I can't bless everybody until somebody opens up the pathway to being blessed. So let's, let's really quick go back to the beginning, okay? God and Adam are walking in the garden. They're cool with each other. They have communion. God loves Adam. Adam loves God. There's a good relationship. All is well, all is peace, all is perfect. The serpent enters into the picture. He tempts Eve. Eve says to the serpent, we we can't eat of the tree and we can't touch the tree. God said we can't eat of it. God said we can't touch it. That wasn't true. They couldn't eat of it. God did say that. But God never said they couldn't touch it. And when she said something that when she said that God said something that God didn't say, she was no longer operating on the authority of the word. But when you operate on the authority of the word, there is no enemy that can come against you that can bring you down when you stand firmly upon the word of God. And she looked at the enemy and gave him something that was false concerning the word of God. The temptation came. She was deceived. Adam with her. Her husband disobeyed. Ate the fruit, they have sinned. Then God comes back down into the garden as at other times, and man is hiding himself. God says, Where are you, Adam? Adam comes sheepishly around the corner. God said, Why are you hiding? He said, Because I heard your voice and I was afraid. Now, folks, that is the first time we encounter fear in the Bible. And why would he be afraid when he heard the voice of God? God is God. And God never changes. So he hears the voice of God and is afraid, not because God has changed, but because Adam has changed. How did Adam change? Sin. Sin changed Adam, and sin will change you. And you will mishear the voice of God, and you will think it's his voice, and it, and it's not his voice when your flesh is trying to perceive it. And you will, you will hear his voice but it'll come through a a filter so a preacher for instance can get up and preach to you that there's a way walk you in it it's a way that leads to life everlasting it's a narrow way there is a broad way that leads to destruction don't walk in that way and when you hear that message from God it can sound like something that makes you afraid Whereas before sin it would make you very grateful to hear a word from God like that. But Adam heard the voice of God and Adam was afraid. And so God begins the process of of instituting his plan for redemption. And, And from that point, that point on, man could not understand the voice of God in his flesh. Now man has to hear the voice of God through the filter of the spirit and that is the only way he can hear the voice of God his flesh is compromised it is conflicted it is a body of death and he is unable through his flesh to hear the voice of God clearly and precisely so, so this is why it's important when we look at God and Abraham when God speaks to Abraham and says Abraham Abraham and Abraham hears his voice and obeys and we know Abraham heard his voice because when God said, I want you to leave your father's house, your father's kindred, and I want you to go looking for a land that I will tell you of, Abraham does it. And, and it's almost like God is saying, you hear my voice? You hear my voice? Nobody hears my voice anymore, but you hear my voice? And Abraham hears his voice and God like almost, it's almost like God gets giddy with excitement. As to Abraham hearing his voice. And he says to Abraham, I, I, I'm going to bless you. I, I, will, I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I, I, will, bless, I will bless every place you set your foot. I will give it to you. I, I, will, I, will, I will multiply your seed as the stars in the heavens and as the sands of the sea. What God is doing God is saying, Abraham, because you trust me, because you believe me, because you obey me, I am going to open unto you my reconciliation for the whole world. And through you, I'm going to bring all of the families of the earth. I'm going to filter them through you. This is why God blessed Israel. Yes, he loved them. Yes, he called them. Yes, he chose them. But the purpose for it was not because he is a respecter of persons, but because he was going to reconcile the world unto himself. And so the the people of God became Abraham and his descendants through Isaac the promised son. And that bloodline was going to bring the Messiah, the Christ, God manifest in human flesh. Who would be the doorway whereby all humanity that God created could enter into the glory of the Lord. This is why the gates of the new Jerusalem have upon them the names of the tribes of Israel. Because it is a figurative understanding that that all of the earth will be able to enter into the new Jerusalem. Those gates... There are three gates facing northward. There are three gates facing eastward and southward and westward. And the reason they are facing in all directions is simply because the people are going to come from all directions. But they're going to have to come through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gateway into that city is through the relationship that this Man, Abraham had with God those many years ago, which allowed him to establish the bloodline that would bring the Messiah into the world. Praise God. Praise God. So God tells Abraham, I'm going to give you seed. Your children are going to be like the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. There you see both the earthly, the sands of the sea, that which is bound to earth. Then he says the stars in the sky. That's different. That's a different kind of promise. The stars in the sky have to do with something that you can't put your fingers on, you can't put your hands on. It's out there, it's celestial, it's something heavenly. In other words, Abraham, your seed is not just going to be biographical or biological rather, earthly, natural, but your seed is going to be elevated. It's going to be spiritual. That's why we are here. We are here as children of Abraham. We are not a part of the biological bloodline necessarily. But we are the fulfillment of that promise that his seed will be like the stars. Whereas the tribes would be a fulfillment of the promise that his seed would be like the sands. One is earthly, one is heavenly. Ours is of a spiritual nature, our promise of being in the lineage of Abraham this is why we sing the song father Abraham had many sons had many sons had father Abraham and I am one of them and so were you so let's all praise the Lord how many remember that song do you does anybody remember that song it's a little Sunday school song I used to love it when we would sing it uh, because we you know you right hand left hand right foot left foot nod your head turn around do the hokey pokey I mean, I'm starting to conflate some songs there, but, but it, was, it was just a fun song to sing, but you got the message that we're children of Abraham. How are we children of Abraham? Because from the beginning, God told Abraham, you're going to have natural children, and there are going to be spiritual children involved. And the spiritual children, are they come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible says we are made joint heirs with him. He's the recipient of the blessings of Abraham. But we are able to latch on to him through repentance and baptism in his name and receiving of his spirit. And we're able to be a part of receiving the inheritance he has come to him. Hallelujah. This was the grand plan of God. That, that, that God would become a man. And I want you to understand, God didn't send somebody else to do that difficult work of redemption. God did it himself. Don't don't think that God delegated that responsibility to a second person that is separate from him. This is why Isaiah painstakingly, over and over through Isaiah 43, 44, 46, 48, said over and over, concerning the voice of God through Isaiah I even I am the Lord and beside me there is no Savior there is none else there is none beside me he said it in so many different iterations and reiterations why because when he became a man he didn't want somebody coming along and convincing you that it was a different person and that's exactly what's happened Many people think God sent somebody besides his own self, but, but that was him in flesh. He became the only begotten son of God. Why? Because that's what we are. We just don't know it anymore. Do you know that the Bible says Adam was the son of God? Follow the lineage back in the book of Genesis. And, and all of these different sons whose father was this and he begat so and so and he begat so and so. He who was the son of him and he who was the son of him and he who was the son of him until finally it gets to Adam and it says Adam was the son of God. We are to be sons of God. We are supposed to operate in the dominion of the Israel. We are to walk in the princely anointing. We are to have the authority that God puts upon us and we don't have it because of sin hallelujah so what what had to happen God looked for an intercessor and found none no man was holy enough to become the son of God so God himself stepped into the form of man thought it not robbery to be equal with God took upon himself the form of a servant And God became the son of God and showed us who we are supposed to be. This is why we say WWJD, what would Jesus do? Because he is the prototype of what a son of God is. He's the the one who taught us how to pray. He's the one who taught us how to treat our neighbors. He's the one who taught us how to love God and how to love our neighbor as ourself. That wasn't because he was a separate person. That was because God in his mercy became one of us to show us the way. So we see that these three names, Jacob, Israel, and Jeshurun, are the names of the people of God. Okay? Jacob meaning the heel grabber. Israel, meaning the prince that wrestled with God and prevailed and now has power with God and men. And Jeshurun, which means the upright one. Okay, it means the upright one. But this is a a reference to the people of Israel. And it's in three different states. One, they are the Jacob. Okay? Jacob is referring to their human nature. It's them from the womb. Jacob, my servant. Notice he calls Jacob his servant. Jacob is his servant. And so Jacob is the human nature of these people, Israel. Jacob is their man nature. Jacob is our man nature. Okay? So let me, let me just take that, that, that statement that he was the heel grabber. There's an Old Testament prophecy. You know, we talked about the fact that, that the serpent entered into the garden. And there was an Old Testament prophecy that says concerning the serpent, the Lord, when he, in, his, in his anger and in his pronouncement of curses upon Adam and Eve and the serpent, he says to the serpent, you have bruised the heel of the woman's seed, but the seed of the woman shall bruise your head. It was a reference to when Jesus was crucified And it was the equivalent of his heel being bruised. And yet, at the same moment that his heel was being bruised, the head of the serpent was going to be crushed. When Isaac and Rebekah named Jacob the heel grabber, it is in connection to that prophecy. Jacob represents the moment that the Jews would crucify and call for the crucifixion of Jesus. So when Peter is standing there on the day of Pentecost looking at the Jewish people saying to them, you have taken him and by wicked hands you have crucified him and you have slain him. Jesus, whom you have crucified. And and there, there have been those who have held that against the Jewish people for their crucifixion of Jesus. Let me explain to you, every one of us in our human nature have crucified the Son of God afresh. It was the human nature of the people of Israel that crucified Jesus. And it was the human nature of you and I that crucify the Son of God afresh. And when Jacob was called the heel grabber, it's in connection to the fact that it will be to the detriment, in the immediate detriment of the seed of the woman. This heel will be bruised Jacob being the heel grabber illustrates man's role in that bruising of the heel. But in that same moment, the head of the serpent is going to be crushed. And that's exactly what happened at Calvary's cross. In the moment that his blood was shed, the veil in the temple was rent in twain. The deception of the serpent was broken forever. We are no longer deceived by that subtle beast of the field. Hallelujah. We have victory now in the name of Jesus. We have overcoming power in the blood of Jesus. We can move from Jacob to Israel. We can move from man nature to princely nature. That's so vitally important to move from man nature into princely nature. Uh, How many know that the number seven is the number of God or the number of perfection, the number of completion? It's the number of completion. In the scriptures, we call it the perfect number. And I I wish I could get more into it. There's several different ways to describe that. But it's typified in one way on the seventh day of creation. The fact that that was a day of rest. That day of rest was a day of total peace. It was a day of complete perfection. That seventh day of rest. And, and And it was typifying this beautiful plan that God has for man. This reconciliation that God has for man. This city of peace that God has for man. This wholeness that God has for man. But that's on the seventh day. On the sixth day, man was created, which is why we say that the number six is the number of man. Okay? But man wasn't the only thing created on that sixth day. You know what else was created? The beasts of the field. Man, in his raw human nature, has a beastly element to him. This is why, this is why actual people, human beings can practice predatory behavior because they're stuck in the sixth day and they're bestial. This is why they can just move from one mate to the next and not care a thing about commitment. That's their, that's bestial. They're acting, they're stuck in the sixth day. They're stuck in that man nature, that human nature. This is why, this is why they can be cold-hearted, why they can, why they can uh, appeal to their basest, most carnal elements. Carnal, C-A-R-N. It's a word that's connected to uh, carnivore, and it has to do with flesh. It carnival, a very fleshly, a very fleshly and worldly and carnal. Uh, uh, festival in in uh, Latin America it is a it is a reference to man's nature and when you are stuck in depression when you are stuck in sin when you are stuck you are stuck in the sixth day you have to move from the sixth day into the seventh day you have to move from the Jacob into the Israel. You have to wrestle with God. You've got to wrestle with God. You've got to let Him wash you with His blood and change your name into a new name. He wants to give you a new name. He wants to give you the name of Jesus, which is the real Israel of God, which is the real Prince nature that God wants to give to humanity. The Israel that we know of, they were the example that he used to show what can happen when people are in covenant with the Lord. Praise God. So, so the people of God, the people of Israel, they had their Jacob uh, nature, but they were able to wrestle with God into an Israel princely nature. And we're going to get to the Jeshurun here in a minute, but even Jesus had to go through that process. Jesus as a man was living the life of the Jacobs before and after and presently with him. And we are all Jacob. And Jesus was living the life of Jacob when he was a man. Now, He didn't live it in the sense that he was a heel holder or that he had any sin. He was innocent. But he took upon himself the form of a man and he was tempted in all points as we are tempted. So he subjected himself to the same limitations of Jacob and overcame what the Jacobs of our world have a hard time overcoming and and can't overcome by themselves. And so we see the wrestling with God, happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jacob wrestles, or Jesus wrestles. And and it's this wrestling with God that produces this princely nature in him. He, He wrestles to the point that he finally says, not my will, but thy will be done. This was him doing this on behalf of every man. Do you know the Bible says he tasted death for every man? He was numbered with the transgressors. He who knew no sin was tempted in all points as we are tempted, and yet without sin. And he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. Praise God. And so, so, so Jesus understands the plight of the Jacob generation. This is why when he walks out of the Garden of Gethsemane, And he sees Peter, James, and John. And the name James is actually Jacob. So it's the, the, in the Old Testament it would read Jacob, in the New Testament it would read James. But it's the same name. And so he he sees Peter and Jacob and John, or Peter, James, and John. And and when he sees them, he says uh, to them, he said, uh, they were asleep. And he had asked them to stay awake for an hour, but they were asleep. And he said to them, could you not wait with me for one hour? And then he made this statement. He said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I've always looked at that as though the Lord was rebuking them to say, the spirit is willing, but your flesh is, your, your flesh is too carnal. Your flesh is too weak. Your flesh is too uh, distracted. And I don't think that's what he was saying. I really don't. I believe that he was simply acknowledging that it was their heart's desire to stay awake. But that their physical body was not able to do so. I really believe that. And I believe he knew that because he had experienced that himself as having become a man himself. So when he looked at them, he he didn't say, Your flesh is too strong. Your carnality is raging. You guys are a bunch of carnal, no good, good for nothing, dirty, rotten. That's not what he said. He said, I know your heart. You're willing. Your spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. You you came up here to pray with me. You came up here to wait with me for one hour. But I understand because I have a body too. And that's why he became a man. So that he could experience what we experience in this human body. My goodness, imagine with me for just a moment what life would be like without the fear of death. Imagine with me for one moment what life would be like if there was no such thing as death. How many people would be sitting here with us? Healthy, in their prime, never aging. My grandfather, a great patriarch of this beautiful truth, would have been 103 years old. Had he lived, just yesterday was his 103rd birthday. And if there was no death in this world, he'd be here with us worshiping God, healthy and strong. You say, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. I do, we're talking about the resurrection. We're talking about a world that that the Lord wants to institute, a world where he delivers us from death and gives us life everlasting so imagine a world where the body doesn't get so weak that it can't stay awake. Imagine a world where the body gets so weak that it succumbs to the slumber or the sleep. Do you know that the Lord does not slumber, nor does he sleep? Now, but when he was a man, he did. He understands the weakness of human flesh, and so he looks at those disciples and said to those disciples, as the Lord... He needs no slumber, he needs no sleep as the Lord of glory. But when the Lord of glory became a man, Jesus wept, Jesus slept. Jesus was a man, and he understood where they were. That's Jacob. He became Jacob for you. He became the one who would wrestle for you. And and he wrestled in that garden of Gethsemane. And when he wrestled in that garden, He walked away saying, not my will, but thy will be done. And now he's walking in a princely anointing up to that cross. And when he comes to that cross, he does something that no one had ever done before. He laid down his life that was innocent and pure and holy and blameless so that sinners could live forevermore. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But he was more than just a man. He laid down his life not just for his friends, but for those who despised him and hated him. He laid down his life. Hallelujah. When he did, he was walking not just as a prince, but as Jeshurun. As the upright one. The upright one. And these are the names of the people of God. There's Jacob, which is our human nature. There's Israel, which is our, our wrestling, princely, prevailing nature. But there is another name, and it's used so rare in the Scriptures. Isaiah uses it once. Moses uses it three times, and that's it. Those are the only references to Jeshurun. And Moses uses it three times in his final address to Israel. Jeshurun was the upright one. We, we, the reason we don't hear it very often is because they so seldom actually walked in that dimension. It was either Jacob, which was their human nature. We can read all about Jacob's trouble. And that's, that's, it's going to be that, that, that man nature that's going to be so troubled. And, and then there's Israel... And it's the Israel of God, Paul called it. And it's, it's the whole house of Israel. So it's the biological seed, but it's also the spiritual seed. It's, the, it's those who are grafted into the lineage of Abraham. It's, it's those who are circumcised in the heart. It's, it's the whole house of Israel. But then there is Jeshurun. And that's where God wants to take all of us. is into that realm of Jeshurun, which is the realm of being up right walking with God in perfection and integrity one who lives holy and righteous and pure before the Lord and I want to tell you that before we can ever even attempt it Jesus has already done it he is the first Jeshurun if you please but he made a way for us to step into that role. So Moses, on his final address to Israel, upon his bed of death, he looks out over Israel and he begins to call them to a higher place. He said, you are and Don't you ever forget you are Jesuit. Don't you ever forget you're not just a prince who's fighting and, and, and trying to establish dominion and authority and rule. And you are not just Jacob who was who had a human nature and was a heel holder and a heel grabber. You're not just the, you are Jeshurun. You are the upright ones. You are the one who is holy and pure and blameless and innocent. You say, well, I thought that sounds like you're describing Jesus. I am, because that's who Jesus was. But why was Jesus that? He was that so he could make us into that. Glory to God. See, man was supposed to be the son of God. God became the son so that he could reconcile the world unto himself and reinstate us as sons of God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So, how does that apply to us today on a Wednesday night? getting ready to leave church and go grab some Skyline real fast and then head home and get up early Thursday morning for work. How does that apply to us today? You've got a Jacob nature. You've got a Jacob nature. There's going to be temptations to grab heels and seek your own self-interest. There's going to be, there's going to be a temptation to try to, to try to satisfy your flesh, and I've come to tell you that's not who you are. Let let Jacob segue into Israel. Step into that princely anointing. That anointing that rules with God. That anointing that has dominion over your flesh. That, that authority, that princely anointing that has some self-control. That, that princely anointing that, that has a temperance about yourself. That, that Let God give to you what he had when he walked this earth as Jesus Christ. Let him put upon you authority over your own emotions. I'm going to tell you something. You, if you want to control something, control your emotions. Don't be stuck in the sixth day with the emotions of a of a of a beast. Have you ever have you ever seen somebody? Just I saw a video the other day of somebody. Don't ask me what they were thinking, but they they walked up and just kind of were trying to scare an alligator. And the last part of the video is the alligator charging them. And what, what is that? The alligator didn't have any self-control. The alligator didn't think, you know what, maybe I should, maybe the guy's having a bad day. Maybe, no, 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 it's just that bestial impulse kicked in. Don't be stuck in the sixth day with the beasts of the field acting like a beast, giving in to anger, giving in to lust, giving in to craven appetites of your human flesh. Get out of the sixth day. Step into the seventh day. Walk away from the Jacob nature and into the princely anointing of Israel. And live in the princely anointing of Israel until God makes you upright. Oh, hallelujah. Upright, what a word up right hallelujah square your shoulders hallelujah praise god take a big deep breath of fresh air breathe in and breathe out open up your eyes see all things crystal clear walk in the holy anointing of the holy spirit Let God give you victory over every devil that comes your way. Trample the lion and the adder. He'll give you victory over the young lions. He'll give you victory over every enemy that steps into your pathway. Praise God. You say, that doesn't sound like me. It will when you, it will when you practice these principles of wrestling with God in repentance. Wrestle with God in repentance. Whoo, hallelujah. Glory to God. My, 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 my. I'm coming to a close. But I want you to hear me now. You need to hate sin. You, You will hate sin, okay? I want you to know that you will hate sin. And you have to hate sin. Otherwise, you'll let sin into your life. And sin will destroy you and take you to hell. So you have to hate sin, okay? And if you don't hate sin now, rest assured you will hate sin one day. You will either hate sin because the teaching of the word and the preaching of the word will prick your heart and make you want to come to the altar and you will give it all up to God and say, God, I don't want sin in my life. I want righteousness to replace sin. Or you will hate sin because you will not believe me or believe the word. And instead you will choose the way of the transgressor and the way of the transgressor Is hard and it is so hard of a way and it is so difficult a path and it is so broken a human experience that when it gets done ravaging you you will hate it you will hate it you'll hate it with everything you have in you my prayer is that you won't hate everything by the time it gets done to where you're so guarded you won't even let God in I pray in Jesus' name that you will make up your mind tonight. I'm going to wrestle with God in repentance. Lord, I'm struggling with my flesh. Lord, I'm struggling with my anger. I'm struggling with the lusts of my flesh. I'm struggling with the pride of this life. Help me, God, to overcome this sin and wrestle with him. Let him throw you around. Listen, God will send something your way to confront you in the wrong path. And Jacob could have just as easily run away from that experience and said, man, the devil really fought me hard. It wasn't the devil. It was God. God was confronting him. God was wrestling with him. And God will send something to wrestle with you until you reach the breaking of the day. And say, I'm not letting go until something changes in my life. I want a life change. I am not supposed to be Jacob alone. I I, I may have started out as Jacob, but I am Jeshurun. I am upright. I am to be holy and pure. Man of God, be upright in your home for your wife, for your children. Be upright at the workplace. Be upright among the people who you regularly interact with. Be upright in heart, in activity. In decisions that you make. Be upright when nobody's looking. Be upright and have integrity in your thoughts. In the way you treat people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't think I can do that. Yes, you can because Jesus already did. And he did it for you. And if you'll trust in him and hold on to him, he'll bring you along the way that he's already walked on your behalf. How many believe it tonight? Could you lift your hands unto the Lord if you believe it? Come on, lift your hands unto the Lord and your voice unto God. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Come on, lift up your hands unto the Lord and your voice unto the Lord. God, help me. Anybody that knows what it's like to wrestle, anybody that knows what it's like to be confronted in your life, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, lift up a praise unto God right now. Lift up a praise unto God. Come on, that's it. Lift up a praise unto God. Hallelujah. Oh, bless his name. 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 Isaiah 44 and verse number 3. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. This is the rest of the passage. And floods upon the dry ground... I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. They shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water courses. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. He's letting us know. Some of you are in the Jacob position. Some of you are in the Israel position. Some of you may have even walked at times or even now in the position of Jeshua upright. I'm convinced that there's a little bit of a fluctuation that happens because we're dealing with this human body. There are times where we have walked as Jeshurun, and there are times where we have reacted like Jacob. And God wants to settle our soul and bring us into that seventh day where we can enter into his rest. Oh, hallelujah. I wonder if we could stand to our feet all across this house. And just take a moment and say, God, I want this. I want to live in that holy city. I want to live in that holy city. And I want to walk in that princely anointing. And I want to be upright. Do you know why Moses? Do you know why Moses said it three times? Three times he talked to them, talked to them about Jeshua. Jerusalem. He said, you are Jeshurun. At one point, he said, you've waxed fat. He 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 called them obese, is what he called them. He said, you've you've become spoiled. You've become like spoiled brats. God has so abundantly blessed you. But that's not who you are. You're Jeshurun. He said it three times. You want to know why? And this was the last thing he ever said to them. He's off the scene after he says these things to to them. You know why? Because he is the one who stood before the burning bush and heard the thoughts of God toward Israel. And he knew that God wanted to bring all of Israel before that burning bush, but they would not. They sent him up. He had to be the mediator between God and Israel. And thus we received the law of Moses. It was always supposed to be the law of the Lord. And his whole life in ministry, all he could think about was, Oh, I wish. That they could stand in his presence and hear him say to them what he said to me. Because what he said to me changed my life forever. And if they could just hear his voice speak to them, they would never turn away their hearts to another God. Hallelujah. Guess what? The veil has been rent in the temple. We get to hear his voice. Don't become the Jesherman that is waxed fat and obese and spoiled and so overladen with blessings that you've forgotten where God brought you from. But be that one who lives every day thankful unto God for the good blessings of the Lord. Daily he loadeth us with benefits. Come on, let's lift up a praise unto God for just a minute or two here. Come on, let's praise him right now. I want somebody that wants to walk uprightly before the Lord. I'm opening up these altars as we do. I want you to feel free to come right now in the name of Jesus. Our ushers are bringing the offering plates. If you want to give to ready now, you're more than welcome. God bless you in the name of Jesus. I wonder if there's somebody here who wants to walk in that princely anointing. Come on, lift up your hands unto God right now and say, God, I want to walk. I want to walk upright before you. I want to walk upright before you. I want to walk upright before you. you. I want to live holy before you. I want to live holy before you. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, Jacob. Come on, Jacob. Some of you are in that wrestling match right now. Some of you are in that wrestling match right now. You're fighting for your life. You're fighting for your life. Hallelujah. Holiness.
1: What I...
0: that you will ever experience or see someone experience is when God absolutely gives you the right kind of desires and causes you to want the things that you should want and takes out of you the desires for the wrong things. That is a miracle of God and it happens all the time to those who are pure in heart. And I want us to pray that prayer tonight we can always pray that prayer and we need to pray that prayer consistently lord give me the right kind of desires and remove from me the wrong kind of desires give me the right kind of thinking and remove from me the wrong kind of thinking help me Lord with this God knows your flesh he's walked in your flesh before he understands we have a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities he knows that your spirit is willing but that your flesh is weak so ask him God help me because I'm struggling with my flesh he'll give you power to run this race he'll give you strength and he'll give you the right kind of desires desire for the holy things desire for the pure things desire for righteousness hallelujah let's pray that prayer tonight before we leave this house god sanctify my desire I'm going to tell you, when you start wanting something, that is a powerful emotion. That is a powerful feeling. And God wants to sanctify the things you want and the things you desire and the things you believe. He wants to sanctify those things. Go ahead and pray that prayer to him right now. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, help me to have the right kind of desires let my spirit be pure before you let my mind be pure before you let my heart, God, crave the good things of God let me hunger and thirst after righteousness so that I can be filled oh God, filled with the righteousness of God filled with the peace of God filled with peace in my mind oh yes, God wants to give you peace in your mind right now God wants to give you peace in your heart tonight. Oh yes he does. Oh yes he does. Oh, That's not out of reach to you. You can walk out of here with peace in your soul. Hallelujah. You may think that's just for other people. I rebuke that thought. It's for you. It's for you. You are his Jeshurun. You are his, the apple of his eye. You are his princely people. Hallelujah. Take my heart.